Over the last few times I've been speaking, I've been speaking about um, from a particular word that comes, which is found in Apostle Peter's letter, where he addresses the believers as royal priesthood. Where does that terminology come from? And how do we understand it? We only will understand it if we understand what it stood for in the Old Testament first. And uh, so far what we have covered is we have seen how before the giving of the law it was the fathers who stood in the role of being a priest. You have Job praying for his children. You have got uh, parents leading, if you like, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Whenever they moved to a new place, the first thing they did is they pitched a tent and built an altar. I know some of you are moving towns or moving cities or starting jobs or starting coasts. You pitch your tent, the next thing you do is build an altar to call on God, establish that relationship. And building these altars, they are also setting up a meeting place with God. That's how they faced their lives in faith and faced their unknowns. We all have got plans, but only God knows the future. He orchestrates our future. So it's best to communicate with God, to chat with him about your every day. And then we looked at how, in terms of the, the priesthood came from the tribe of Levi, and we looked at who Levi was. He was not particularly a, a role model. He did things impulsively. So much so his father, when Jacob, when he was dying, when he blessed his children, he said, I wouldn't want to do anything with Levi. So we learned a lesson that God can take an unlikely group of people and make something that is for glory, for his glory. So that's very comforting and reassuring. And we also looked at how Aaron, the, the high priest, the first priest, if you like, of the children of Israel, came from the tribe of Levi, and he was the brother of Moses, and he was Moses' spokesperson. He too had his flaws. God does not disown his children because they have flaws, but he works with them. He pours out his grace, he challenges them, he corrects them, he shapes them, he consecrates them, and uses them. That is also very comforting. And we saw how Moses mediated the covenant last time I spoke, and uh, he went up to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, he spent time with God, he came back and he told the children of Israel, this is what God is saying, I will be your God and you can be my people. And the people said, whatever he says, we will do. And he said, if you obey me, you will be a kingdom of priests. That's where the terminology comes. What Peter takes that same words and he says, you are a a holy nation and you're a royal priesthood. 
So obviously that's where it started and then uh, Moses uh, goes back and gives his message to God and then he invites the elders to come to the foot of the mountain where they have a meal, they have a sacrifice and they have a meal with God. Once you have a covenant relationship, you can have friendship with God. You can have a meal with God. Every first, every second Sunday and the fourth Sunday, we have communion. It's an, because we have a covenant relationship with God, we can have a meal with God. It is called communion. It's a time we remind ourselves that we are currently in fellowship with God. And uh, last time I finished off with these verses from 24, Exodus 24 verse 8, in which he says, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord made with you according to all these words. And Jesus, when he instituted that last supper, he said this cup is the blood of the new covenant. Can you see the similarities there? That is in Luke 22, 20. Today we are going to be speaking majority of this text will be coming from the book of Exodus uh, chapter 25. And uh, I'm going to spare you all the measurements, but I will talk about the main details. It opens up with this idea where God is speaking to the children of Israel through Moses and he says to, he makes it very clear, I want to dwell with you. So we'll go to verse 8 first of all. In verse Exodus 25, 8, he says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God expresses this desire to be amongst his people. When God sent the Holy Spirit upon his church, what is happening? Same thing. I want to be with you. We used to sing songs like, I want to be where you are. I want to be with you. That is the greatest assurance we have that God is with us. The moment that reality or that truth is slightly obscured from our view, we panic. Don't we all have circumstances in life which challenges us? At times, it frightens us. But moments you know he is with you in that situation. A, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with you. So it doesn't matter what circumstances you face, once you know this reality, then you're never walking alone. Liverpool has pinched that slogan. Never walk alone. God is with you. And he expresses desire, I want to live with you, I want to dwell with you. Can I make my residence with you? 
How will we respond to that? You can say, Lord, come. Come, Lord, and make your residence with me. Come into my workplace. Come into my family. Come into my leisure activities. Come in my parenting. Come in my marriage. Come in my singleness. Come, Lord Jesus, come and make your residence with me. Obviously, one problem. The problem was sinful people, holy God. Sinful people, holy God, how can the two walk together? Okay. So, God gives instruction to the children of Israel how to deal with the issue of sin. There comes the sacrificial system of worship. What do you do with sin? You'll find that in uh, the chapters following, you'll find we will go to some of it. They came before God's presence. They had an animal without blemish. They laid hands on the animal without blemish. They confessed their sins upon that animal and that animal was made a substitute for you. The soul that sinneth shall surely die, but there was a substitute made for you. In that laying on of hands upon that animal and the confession, the principle is transference of your guilt, transference of your sin, and the punishment is being taken. This is all shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians, the writer to the Hebrews also makes that clear. So Christ, it was my sin that held him there. It was my sin, it was our sins that held him there. And uh, in your mind's eye, I would say to you, when you do sin, when you do things wrong, just picture that. Put in your hands onto Jesus and saying, God, I have sinned. I confess my sins. I know you have paid for my sin. Him who knew no sin was made sin on account of us. John, John writes in his letters, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All. So this is a constant walk for every Christian, a confession that Jesus is the Christ. He is my sin bearer. He bore my sins. He bore my iniquity. He bore my transgressions. He paid the price and he surely did cry. It is finished. And today he continues to make intercessions for you at the right hand of the Father.
So this, this confession is necessary. Confession of who he is, what he has done, and of our shortcomings on a regular, ongoing basis. Then you can come before God with confidence. Apostle Paul writing says, you have access to God. Today you have access to God. You don't need to fix an appointment. You can come before God with confidence to obtain mercy and grace at a time of need. Okay. So, God wants to dwell, sinful people, holy God, here's a system. And at those days when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, they were living in tents. And God is saying, can you make me a tent as well? And in the arrangement of the tent, he says, put my tent right in the middle of all your tents. Twelve tribes are being like, you got four this way, four that way, four, three this way, three this way, three mats here, yeah. You get the picture? The tent is right in the middle. What is God trying to say is, I want to be right in the middle. I want to be the center. Let your lives revolve around me. I want to say, when we pray, Sometimes if your prayers are like a bit like mine, it could look like a shopping list. I would say, Lord, pray for Jackie. I pray for the Woodfords. I pray for the Ellisons. I pray for the Samsons. It's just gone like this. You know, but you just pray. And I say everything else. But, or you could, in our prayer, we can always say, God, I want to be like you. Help me to grow in the knowledge of you, to grow in wisdom, to grow in understanding of the reality of who you are, what you've done, and who am I in you today in this world. You get the picture. Then your jobs, your everyday life, you'd walk with a spring in your step because you're not just exist, just kind of bobbing along in life but you're living here for his glory, you are an ambassador of Christ, wherever you are, whatever job you do. Okay. So he says, pitch me a tent, and then he says, I would like you to bring me an offering. And he asks them to bring gold and silver and bronze, uh, he asked for blue and purple yarn with goat's hair, linen. He asks for onyx stones and precious stones. He asks for olive oil. He asks for acacia wood. He asks for spices, for incense, olive oil, for anointing or for the lamps. And he says, actually, if you go and read verse... Um, Exodus chapter 25, in verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it freely with his heart, you shall take an offering. 
This is the same principle today when we worship God with our giving. Obviously, in our church, we do our giving electronically. We want fine details out there on that table there. Or if you're a person who wants to give physically, a green box at the back on that wall. But you give it freely and willingly, not grudgingly. Apostle Paul takes the same thought and he says, to give, God loves a cheerful giver. As each man purposes in his heart, not out of compulsion, but willingly, cheerfully. And Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian chairs says, regularly, at times, sacrificially. You get the picture? Guidelines is there in the Bible, but in the New Testament, everything you have belongs to you because you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You get the picture? So everything you have, so you say, you can ask, I love, I'm not going to name the person, there's one person in our congregation, he always says, whenever he stops, he says, God, what do you want me to do with my money? How much do you want me to give? During one phase in the life before electronic giving was there, on Saturday or the weekend, he makes a special trip to the ATM at a time. Not for collecting money for shopping, but for an offering. He says, God, this is a business between you and me. And he collects that offering and then he comes to worship with that substance. You get a picture? What's he doing? Lots of ATM transactions happen. This one is a hallowed transaction. Your giving is a hallowed transaction between you and God freely, willingly, as God puts it on your heart. But when you give, he's got his prescriptive what you must bring. In this instance, it's prescriptive. Okay. So, then he says how the tent should be. I want you to notice in the instruction for construction of the tent, he starts in the most holy place. Okay, by the way, if you're unfamiliar, I'm just going to use this thing like this, okay? That's the perimeter of the tabernacle, if you like. Right here is the most holy place. Then you had holy place. Then you had the outer court. Three things. The most holy place you have Old King James Bible, it says, Holy of Holies. Holy place, outer court. So in the instruction of construction, he starts with the most holy place. So what goes in in the most holy place is what I'm going to speak first about. In the most holy place was a little chest box. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. I shall spare you the measurements because I'm not good with numbers. So what was this Ark of the Covenant? It was a box which is made of acacia wood, overlaid with gold, and on the two sides, there was opposite sides was two cherubims, heavenly creatures, 
Genesis, you'd find that, you remember? He placed two cherubims after he drove out man out of the, the, the paradise or the garden of Eden. These two creatures. And you know what was the place called? Where that, that on the top of the box was called? Mercy seat. It was God's throne. When the psalmist wrote, Heaven is thy throne and earth is thy footstool. He said, God, you are transcendent. Your footstool, you are eminent. God is both high and lifted up and yet he is close. You get that picture? In Christendom, if you overemphasize the transcendence, then you'll be afraid to talk to him. If you overemphasize his eminence, you have no reverence for him. You need to have both. God, you are unchanging, almighty, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the mighty one of Israel, the creator, sustainer, keeper. Coming down, shepherd, healer, presence, peace, banner, love. Wow. You get a picture? So, going back to this, God's tent. In the instruction of construction, he starts with the most holy place. So in other words, God initiates. Everything starts with God. Everything starts with God. It starts with his throne. It starts with the mercy towards his people, mercy seat. It starts there. What else was in this chest of box, this Ark of the Covenant? Inside the, the box was a copy of the Ten Commandments. I always say the ketubah, the marriage certificate, if you like. Here he said in the Mount of Sinai, he said, I'll be your God, you'll be people. Yes, we will, we will, yes, we will. Will you take this man to be your... Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah, it's happened. This is a certificate. He's saying this mercy is based on the covenant and here's a copy. Wow. Sometimes have you doubted of God's mercy on your life? It is based on a covenant. The shed blood of Christ. It's been, the price has been paid. It is based on a covenant. So I don't wake up in the, in the middle of the night worrying if I'm a Christian, whether my sins are forgiven. Last week I had a text message from one of my acquaintances. He sent me a message saying, he quoted from Matthew's Gospel, and he said, what if Jesus on the last day tells you, I don't know you? He was wanting a debate. I just wrote back and says, that will not be the case because I've known by him. He said, he said, never come across such a confident answer. Because it is based on a covenant. Mercy is based on a covenant. There's a copy there. Today, 
what happens is through the prophecy of Ezekiel we have it there as well God by his spirit writes on the fleshy tablets of your heart forgiven redeemed a recipient of my mercy growing in the knowledge of that you live in a different reality you got the picture now we are, we are still in the hope the most holy place and the most holy place is divided from the holy place with a curtain or a veil in the synoptic gospel when Jesus died and he gave up his ghost what happened the curtain in the temple was torn into two he's saying now you have got access so you can go from the holy place to the most holy place let me just give you a little picture when this tabernacle was there it was only the high priest once a year could transfer from holy place to most holy place on the day of Yom Kippur in other words for those of us who don't know that in, in Hebrew it's the day of atonement it is a feast day once a year he will go and he will sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat so when we in, in in the new testament when the writer to the hebrews or peter says you have been saved by the sprinkling otherwise you kind of think well what is all this sprinkling business is you know the sprinkling is he's saying through the blood of christ through his life I have access to God's mercy hallelujah you get a picture so so in the in in the holy place there were some furnishings there three there was showbread, a table for showbread there was also a seven branched candlestick called the menorah if you like and there was an altar for incense altar for incense you will find in Exodus 30 the showbread 12 loaves of unleavened bread from fine flour he is the sustainer of Israel 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel unleavened bread unleavened without sin He's saying, I will keep you. No wonder Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Okay. Bread on the showbread table. Opposite was the, the menorah or the seven branch candlestick. Let me just read this piece of scripture for you. The seven represents the spirit of the Lord is the spirit of wisdom 
of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. If you like the Hebrews, Hebrew way of saying is the seven spirits of God. That means seven facets of the spirit of God. Okay. The mercy seat, I've already said, you come from the most holy place, you're coming in here, bread of life and the Holy Spirit. Get the picture? Wow. That's nice, isn't it? Sustained by God, enlightened by God, illuminated by God, my soul is illuminated by the entrance of your word brings light, Psalm 119. How do you get illuminated? How do you get excited? How do you keep from sinning? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You hear the picture? When you capture this, it is not just, have you read your Bible today? Have you done your quiet time today? It's more than that. Hiding. Most precious thing. It illuminates my soul. It, it enlightens me. You know, the church, when I grew up in, uh, as a child, I went to a church. We, we were called the Thomites, or the Mathoma, because we were converts from our, our ancestors. Claim our conversion is from Thomas Didymus, who came to India. We are called the Thomites. And you know what's our catchphrase? Enlightened to enlighten. You get the picture? Enlightened to enlighten. As you hide God's word in your heart, it illuminates. What, what we just read, what do we say? That as we get this wisdom comes in, understanding comes in, you get counsel, you get strong, might, you get knowledge. And you also know how to reverence God. And also in this holy place was a little altar called the altar of incense where the frankincense was burnt. May our prayers be like incense. Wow. We didn't know all this. We went, thinking, what the heck are they singing? Incense was the Perfume, 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 yeah, perfume. The most valuable thing, the sweet smelling thing. Basically, he's saying, when you receive mercy, your prayers will be like sweet smelling incense before God. Imagine you love somebody so much, yeah? If you love somebody so much, I mean, we human beings are, have got our flaws, but if we love somebody so much, when that person calls or says, can I speak with you? Say, yeah. I'm all yes. I'm listening. Tell me. What happens? Your body language is leaning towards them. Your eyes are fixed on them. Sometimes I have got this bad habit when my wife starts talking to me. At 
no, no, you know, okay, I'm getting better at this. Sometimes I'm staring at a blank space. God doesn't stare at a blank space when you speak to him. Tell me, Danny, tell me more. I'm listening. Hey, Laura, I'm listening, yeah? Hey, Phil, I'm listening, tell me. God gives you his attention and he finds it sweet. Even though we might speak a whole lot of sometimes, sometimes we say things, you know, in your zeal or, or sometimes we ask a miss. He can deal with all that. He can even handle prayers like David's prayer. Are you not listening anymore? Or you, you have you forgotten me? Should I remind you? You can handle all that. We love our children, don't we? I don't know, Pete might be able to say this, maybe you, uh, uh, the word fits might be able to confirm this. Sometimes kids, when they're little, you know, when they can't get, they, when they don't get their own way, they say, you don't love me. I hate you. Do you handle that? Yeah, you can manage that. God can manage that too. All right, I wouldn't encourage you as you grow up to continue to behave like little kids, yeah? Grow into maturity. Let's go back here. Then comes the outer court, and the outer court, the most principal thing is the altar for burnt offering. where the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, the peace offering, any vows you make, that's where it's done. So in terms of the instruction for construction, it begins with God and works its way outward. But in terms of our approach, it's completely the other way. We start from the outer to the inner to the innermost. You get the picture? Yet when we come, our offering is to be without blemish, our substitute, you understand? Our sin offering is Christ, our peace offering is Christ, our burnt offering is saying, God, I give myself wholly to you. And then the priests will go and burn the incense before the presence of God in the holy place. Once a year, years ago, and you get the picture now? So, I'm gonna just tie all this up now. Once you understand this, you can approach God and say, now is the time to worship. Come just as you are to worship. But based on what? What Christ has done. Because of mercy. If there's no mercy, you don't just pitch up anyhow, you know. Because we have experienced mercy. We can come. We can come knowing. You know, there's a song in, in, the, in, in one of the churches we used to, uh, in London when we were, they say, take me past 
the crowds of people. Take me past the outer court. Take me to the holy place. Take me to the most holy place. Wow. Walking with confidence, but treading with reverence. We have got this axis. Let's worship him. So, in the series of priesthood, next time we meet, we will look at some, some elements of the sacrifice and also the garments of priesthood. Uh, Tim has kindly given me a little slide to put up for the, the picture of what the priests wore those days. We'll have that going. Uh, shall we pray? Uh, Father, we thank you that we can come before you where previously we couldn't have come. Merciful God, we want to thank you in your throne. You called your throne to us as the mercy seat. We thank you for the bread of life and the spirit you poured upon us. And today our prayers and our worship rise up to you like incense before your throne. You not only hear our prayers, but you answer our prayers. Sometimes not quite how we want it, but we are saying, your answers are good. We trust your answers. We trust your plans. We trust you and we love you. Thank you for the sin offering you made for us once and for all. And today we are aware our sins have been atoned for and we want to just say, we love you, Lord. We bring ourselves and say, we are wholly yours. And we want to continue that way. We ask we will grow in that reality. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.